almost all the jobs that I've had to hire people for. The formal education is not nearly as predictive of their performance as their performance. That is Brooke Allen, a retired hedge fund manager and at one time a hiring consultant, talking about his own adventures in hiring. Part of what I try to do is create a hiring process in which they get to actually exhibit their character so that I get through that before I hire them. Resumes don't answer any of the questions that really involve the ability, attitude, and aptitude that I'll need and whether they are an asset or they'll pose a risk to my company. Brooke is like a growing number of employers, ones who feel compelled to find new ways to hire people because the old ways simply don't work for them. But according to our guest on today's pod, what makes Brooke unique is that he's actually trying out new ways to hire. Most employers have made a different choice. Do nothing. Or, more specifically, use the same retread philosophies and methods that have produced the same dubious results for years. You would think in the whole hiring process, the whole interview process, the whole HR, it'd be more sophisticated than it is. And it's still stuck in the same kind of way it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, for the most part. Right now, you're just making a judgment on somebody's character, ability, their ability to do the job, based on just not having a job. And that's crazy and unfair. That is Jack Kelly, founder and CEO of WeCruiter, as well as a regular contributor to Forbes on the subject of recruiting. Now, full disclosure, when we reached out to him, it was to talk about the bias against the unemployed and how that may change or diminish with the labor market as tight as it is and with so many people choosing to leave their jobs. His reply when he finally got back to us was to take us to school. Forget your assumptions about the Great Resignation. Forget what you think of the effects of the pandemic. Forget about labor shortages or the war on talent. None of these seemingly seismic shifts in the workplace seem to have had much effect on the most common methods we use to hire people. And that's sad, because according to Jack, we could be doing it a whole lot better. Jack Kelly joins us at the Nexus. Perhaps prior to the pandemic, there was a bias against people who had been out of the job market and were trying to re-enter. From a hiring director's perspective, do they see this as bias? Do they see it as like an act of curation, limiting the number of people I need to consciously consider for this particular role by excluding out of hand all those people who haven't worked in a while? No one's going to say it out loud. A hiring manager isn't going to say to me, Jack, you've been out of work for six months. How come no one hired you in the last three to six months? You must be damaged goods. Maybe you did something inappropriate. And in today's day and age, because no one wants to get involved with litigations, maybe the company just didn't say anything. It wasn't made public. So there's that perception. There's something wrong. Let's put him aside and let's keep looking at other people. It's painful. It's really painful because then their self-esteem gets damaged. They lose their confidence. So then when they finally do get an interview, they're not their best. They're going in feeling like they're not going to get the job. And, you know, when you meet somebody who you feel that they're just, they're beaten up, they're broken, and that gets you uptight when that person feels that way. Conversely, if somebody is upbeat, positive, confident, excited, you say, I want that person. 
So it's like a double whammy. So they get the bias, but then because of the bias, they lose their self-esteem and self-confidence. So then when they finally do interview, they're not at their best. They're probably at their worst. In many cases where there is like a systemic bias that people are sort of prey to, it sometimes takes an extrinsic motivator. Is the pandemic that particular extrinsic motivator that's forcing employers to reconsider how they look at unemployed people? With Forbes, I cover the monthly jobs reports. And in it, it gives a breakdown of the folks who are in between roles. And the largest section of it, I, I can't recall the exact numbers off the top of my head, probably 20 to 30% of the people who are filing for unemployment are what they call long-term unemployed, which means about 26 or 27 weeks they haven't been working. And that number has been so steady for so long. There seems to be a disconnect, in my opinion, between senior executive management and then boots on the ground, interviewing, onboarding people. To me, you would think that issues like this would bubble up to the surface and someone in a leadership position would say, wait, no, we're not gonna do this any longer. Let's make sure that it's in our policies that just because somebody's out of work for a while, we're not gonna discriminate against that person. It's so interesting that a problem like this persists despite the changes in the talent pool. This feels like a small, perhaps an incremental way to solve what everyone is saying is an urgent problem, which is more jobs than there are people to fill them at the moment. When the media reports the war for talent and the great resignation, they make it sound like it's a catch-all for everyone. The largest sector that they're really talking about is the service workers, because during the pandemic, people worked at restaurants, people worked at bars, nail salons, literally millions of people that go in furloughed. Once we reopened with extra stimulus and people just reevaluating their lives, I'm not gonna go back. I'm, I'm gonna try to do something else. Now, meanwhile, in the white collar knowledge workers, they're not just saying, hey, I quit, I'm out of here. Let's take for an example, you're at Morgan Stanley and 35 years old and you're a banker and you're making 150 plus bonus plus what have you. If you do leave, you're gonna have something lined up. I think the narrative, the overall narrative that's happening that the media is reporting is kind of inaccurate. And I'm not saying they're purposely doing that. I think they're just looking and say, oh, okay, there are 4 million people who quit in September. But if you look at those numbers, the vast majority are in leisure, hospitality, restaurant, services, warehouses, supply chain, because people are just saying, hey, I'm too stressed with this, I'm out of here. It's not really on that white collar side where that's where I see a lot of the discrimination taking place. You know, we've been dwelling on a bias against the unemployed, but that's not the only bias we're probably seeing in hiring. I mean, what are some other prevalent ones that, to your mind, are perhaps most egregious and need to be corrected? Ageism is really a horrible thing that's going on lately. This predates the pandemic. It's really, in my opinion, it's a couple of things. One it's the nexus, no pun intended, between the age but how much they're earning. Because they're saying, Jack and Chris are earning X and they're working out of big cities and we have to pay a lot. Let's jettison them, replace them with junior people, pay them less, and we're all good. And so it's a pernicious thing because it's not just saying, hey, you're old. It's that you're earning a certain amount of money. 
are there any benefits to having experience and being wisdom anymore? Or is that just something that people are like, mm, whatever, there's too much to be gained by doing the other thing than it is by retaining these people who claim to have experience or wisdom? Sometimes just having that experience and going through it and failing and you learn from that and then you impart that to others, there's a big value in just having lived that life and been involved in it and seeing how these things go. Knowing how to fail is a bit of a gift because yes. A, you can think logically and clearly and you don't have that fight or flight response when it happens to some degree. But everybody is so young and to your point, have never really experienced trouble or seen people get mad at them. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's, You're so right. So I interviewed Dr. Bob Langer, one of the Moderna founders, and he said that when he graduated and he was in graduate school, he got rejected for a whole bunch of different fellowships he wanted. He had an interview with some guy who's big shot, esteemed professor, smoking a big cigar, blowing in his face, and felt he should even be in the job he has now. And that sense of failure, he was saying, really egged him on. He used that to say, all right, this is failure. This is what it's like. It sucks, but I'm going to learn from it. You know, as he was building companies and, you know, running labs, he was empathetic because he knows what it's like to have things not go his way. It made him a better person, better human being, but also a better business person because then he could empathize people who go through things and it just doesn't work. At the top of the pod, we heard from an employer who says, we still hire based on credentials, but fire people based on attitude and aptitude. Are there better methods of hiring that would correct that, like, say, blind hiring, as an example? And if they work, why don't we use them? There's companies out there who do that, is making traction. Let's say fintech companies, these unicorn companies, they feel, hey, if we just hire a whole bunch of young kids out of top Ivy League schools and underneath, they'll figure out what to do, and they just throw them at it. Now, are some brilliant and great and can do it? Sure. But just because they're good in school doesn't mean that they're going to excel in the business world. And I think what happens with a lot of hiring managers, they feel, hey, I hired someone, they went to Harvard, they went to Yale, they went to Princeton. So it's not my fault if it didn't work out. I'm starting to think that perhaps part of the solution is incentivizing hiring managers in a different way. Hiring managers as part of their, say, performance reviews, people look at things like the churn within a business. Did turnover go down as a result of their work? Is the cost of hiring going down as a result of what they're doing? There's some accountability in terms of looking at the numbers. Hey, I noticed X amount of people who are a certain age, you're just passing over. Why is that? Or people who are out of work for a certain part, you're passing over. Why is that? And to have all these metrics to see who actually stays. Now, did all those smart kids from the great schools, did they stay or did they leave? Well, do you want that churn? Is that good? Or are you better off finding somebody who wants to stay there as opposed to having it on the resume, leverage that to go somewhere else? Does it get done? Maybe, but not to the degree to really fix all these issues. Unless, of course, there's that one example that everyone wants to emulate, that one particular company that chooses to do something bold, and as a result of its success, everyone sort of follows suit. Have you seen anyone like that? The sector that I'm seeing the most changes are in the ones we talked about earlier, kind of the service industry, so what I'm seeing, Target, Amazon, Walmart, all are offering free college tuition to their workers. They're giving sign-on bonuses. They're enhancing their wages. 
when they give their press releases, they make it sound like they're fantastic, but I think a lot of it is to attract and retain workers. They have no choice but to offer these things. The cynic could say, why are you giving someone free college? Because they're just gonna graduate and leave, and that's not good. But their thought process is, hey, if we give you free college, maybe you'll stay and rise through the ranks. And boy, that was a great investment and you end up becoming a big executive because you're so appreciative that they pay for your college and you can move forward. You're gonna to talk to family, friends, people, and it spreads and it shines a good light on the company. So in that space, I'm seeing a lot of action, a lot of movement. And even with all those enhancements, it's still hard for them to find people, but at least they're trying. I feel like we could spend all day trying to solve the world's problems, Jack. Okay. <laughs> Thank you once again. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Do you have a hiring problem? Do you got lots of churn? High attrition rates? Is your cost per hire through the roof? If so, then let Nexus help. We've been supporting clients for more than two decades with industry-leading strategies and products designed to help you attract, hire, and retain the right people. You can find us at www.nexuscommunications.com. That's N-E-X-U-S communications.com. If you like what you heard today, then feel free to give us some props. Rate us or comment on us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to feed your podcast Jones. The Nexus is produced by Alexa Paveo and Mertz Jaffer and hosted by me. I'm Chris Nelson. Thanks for listening.